Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to another episode of The Property Management Show brought to you by Foreign Top Marketing Agency for Property Managers. Today's topic is about business planning for property management companies, and we're bringing in two experts in this field. That's Deb Newell and Andy Moore. They're going to talk to us about common blind spots, pitfalls, things that business owners run into when they're building and scaling a property management company. They're also going to give us some advice on which frameworks work best for certain businesses. So um, thank you so much, Andy and Deb, for you know, being on the podcast today. So to our listeners who may not know you yet, um, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about how you've become experts in the field? How about we start with you, Deb? Sorry, as I just realized I need to turn off my phone. Uh, Yes, hi, thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Deb Newell and I am with Real Time Consulting Services. Um, We're out of um, Minneapolis or St. Paul area in Minnesota, and we help clients focus on really the three core principles kind of uh, that we've established of a business, which is people, process, and technology. And I look at, I help them realize some of the deficits that they may be having in their business, um, looking at how ways I can fix um, some of the gaps, miscommunications, look at their software, um, dive in really as their, you know, kind of their temporary COO and really look into their operations, how we can make them more efficient. I even help clients who are starting out in the business or who have been in the business for many years. Great. Thank you for that, Deb. How about you, Andy? Let our listeners know more about you and your expertise in this field. Okay. Yeah. My name is Andy. Uh, I'm based out of uh, Sarasota, Florida, and I run, own a management company. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, realizing where the challenges of operations came, I helped, probably I've helped today property management companies uh, reorganize, focus, uh, and pretty much do everything that which Deb said, uh, but on a uh, more on a part time basis rather than being a full-time consultant. And Andy's accent is way cooler than mine. <laughs> I just have to say. We could just listen to Andy the whole podcast. That yeah. would just be mine. I appreciate wife, Andy's my accent. My wife would too. not agree. <laughs> so speaking um, of, of EOS, so we've covered that on the show before, right? Um, but today, the reason we have both of you is we want to compare it against other frameworks. And so, um, Andy, um, you are you know well within the EOS space, and we kind of want to talk about um, you know what are other ways you can organize a business, run a business, and so can you briefly give? an overview of what EOS is, Andy, for those who may not yet uh, be familiar with it. Okay. Uh, Yeah, the uh, EOS, it's uh, an acronym for the Entrepreneurial Operating System. And it's a a business ethos and and system uh, that can be applied to most businesses. Uh, And it covers the whole gamut from marketing, uh, operations, uh, accounting, uh, given a a framework 
for the entrepreneur uh, to operate their business within. Very often we see, and it's, I think, especially, uh, especially apparent within the property management world that people start as technicians and... Uh, but with no real idea on how to run their business. So what the uh, what the uh, the OS system is, it's a fast track uh, uh, to the uh, to a business qualification, if you like, uh, for want of a better word, uh, giving someone an idea of how to run their business, uh, how to hire, fire, manage, uh, set expectations, and deliver a, a quality service. Uh, so it, it it's nothing it's nothing new it's nothing that is uh, groundbreaking it's just taking a bunch of ideas on how to run a business packing them all up and calling it EOS great um, and Deb can you give our listeners an idea of other tools in your tool bag that you use to help their businesses yeah, so I also, um, so I kind of do a unique approach. I will take a little bit of EOS and a little bit of Six Sigma. And uh, six, 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 six Sigma, sorry, and, and I focus more on the lean management side of it. But it's really this idea of um, eliminating the defects that are within the business. So it's kind of going through these core um principles and kind of um, evaluating the business in such a way that, you know, you're focusing on the customer, you're understanding how everything really works, looking at the processes and how they flow, looking at reducing waste and concentrating on the value of the business, and then um, removing any defects along the way that, you know, are, are part of that whole equation. Um, you also include the team in all of this as well. So getting buy-in from the team, because that's very, very important. And then really then making all of this, all of the efforts very systematic and, and um, going through and then mapping out, really laying out a roadmap um, for the client that um, might be in phases. So sometimes when clients come to me and they say, oh, I'm struggling with this in my business, and it may be, you know, they may be thinking that it's an employee issue. Um, and I dive in a little bit further, and it, it may be, you know, the, um, the result may be the employee issue, you know, what they're thinking is the problem, but really when I'm looking at the root cause, it's something else entirely. And it may not be the employee's fault, maybe they weren't trained, maybe they didn't have the right systems in place or the right processes, so I'm helping the client actually build all of that for them so that they can execute it in the right manner to actually help their team become more cohesive and really run more of a lean management style um, and focusing and really what that does is it, it accelerates the entire process and it helps solve those problems more efficiently and, and helps the processes run faster. So you're not only bringing your expertise, but you're also able to bring right. in objectivity so you can kind of clearly map that out. Yeah, I mean, one thing I didn't say is I've also I also have a property management company. I've had one right. for twenty years, so I kind of use my company as a little bit of a sandbox, and um, it allows me to kind of you know uh, test things out. You know, if what's what's new in the industry, what's coming up. Um, it's really important to be familiar with as many software programs as I can um, to dive into. You know, because everybody runs their business differently, and there's not one right way or wrong way. Uh, the way Andy runs his business, the way I run my business, they, they're probably both very 
you know, well-run businesses. But it doesn't mean his way is more right over mine. He's also in a completely different region. So there's a lot of variables and other factors that you have to take into consideration because it's not one size fits all. And then, you know, and there's so many other things that you want to look at. You want to look at your competitors and benchmark those and, and how, how they run their business. And you can't always completely copy the way that your competitor is running their business because you don't know the underlining factors that actually really are driving that business. And so if on the surface you just try to copy things, it won't work. Totally makes sense. So, and I would say it's probably, it's the same in your position and Andy's position where you help companies implement these different types of business processes and operating structures, but it's really starting just with the idea of it and building it out from there to be custom to the right, to the right company. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead, please, Andy. Go ahead. Okay. Thanks, Deb. I, one of the, and I don't know if that feels the same way. Uh, one of the, one of the challenges that I find as a as a business coach is trying not to impose my management style and the way we're structured upon the 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 business that we're working for. Uh, yeah, to Deb's point, every there's nuance in. Uh, in every company, whether that be geographical, whether it be staff, whether it be size, whether it be the type of properties, uh, the the dynamics always change. And what I think what works for my business uh, isn't necessarily going to work for another business. So I find myself, which is why I enjoy the EOS system a lot, is because I can stick to that framework and I can use EOS as the... Uh, as the the guardrails and always bring the client back to those guardrails rather than falling for the temptation of uh, this is how I solve the problem within my business now we can all talk and we can have a, we can have a drink at the bar and we can uh, say these are my experiences but I think one of the uh, the important thing a coach has to understand is it's it's not telling someone how to do it it's it's giving people the opportunity to discover which is best for them. And I think that's where we complement each other because I look at myself more as a consultant than a coach. I think part of what I do is coaching, but I find that a lot of my clients want me to help them. It's almost like you don't know what you don't know. And whether or not, even if, as I'm building their own foundation, because a lot of times I'm discovering that they have no foundation, which it sounds like you kind of run into that same situation. So without any foundation, it's, it's difficult to, to build anything on top of that. Um, but part of my expertise is bringing in you, you, what I see in the industry. So if I see them doing something one way over and over again, and it's they're definitely keep hitting that same roadblock and they just don't know why I'm going to look at it and say, have you looked at it from this direction and tried it this way and then see if that's something that will fit within their company. Because again, it's really important to have the buy-in from the employees. I mean, the, the owners can say all they want. The client can say, yep, I want to do it this way and it has to be done this way. But if the employees themselves don't adopt everything that you're trying to change, it just won't work. 
Um, so I really latched on to um, that comment about how there's this temptation um, to just copy what the successful property management companies are doing. Um, but like, first of all, if they're in a different market, like that's already kind of like um, a, a red flag that like, hey, you can't just copy it, you know, exactly. Mm -hmm. It may not work in your market. And secondly, if you don't understand why company A is doing things a certain way, um, you may be missing some insight that, um, that could be the key to make it work in your company. Um, so because you really can't just copy and paste it because you don't know everything that went into it just from looking at the high level framework. Which I think, which I think is a really good point because you know how people go to conferences back in the day, right? Now we can say back <laughs> in the day when we went to conferences and everybody gets excited. They go to conferences, they go to the trade shows and it's kind of that new shiny object, that new thing that's kind of like out and about. And, and, and I think that's great. Um, but what happens is, and I know Andy's going to probably say this as well, because this kind of goes back to that EOS, you know, you're they're visionary and you can see all these cool things, but you're probably not the implementer. So, right. So there you're, you have to find that change agent in your company to be able to actually drive all of that change. And that is probably the biggest struggle I find um, when I'm working with clients is that they don't have anybody. And so we have to find and develop that person as well to help them keep leading that, um, that path towards that goal. Yep. Yep. Uh, I agree 100%. So I, I'm curious to know, um, cause you talked about like different types of frameworks to use, right. Um, when you're trying to create structure in a business or just like improve the operations of a business, do all these frameworks just do the same thing? Um, are there specific frameworks that work better for younger property management companies just starting out versus a company that's already more established has a bigger team? Well, EOS in itself, uh, I, I turned down uh, quite a lot of business uh, that is EOS related when the, the for two reasons. Uh, generally, it's because uh, a team is either not big enough uh, in either, uh, in either in property management terms, doors, uh, revenue, or staff, or if it's a portfolio-based company, uh, EOS doesn't, in my experience, does just not work for a portfolio-based where you uh, the real estate model where you've got one agent uh, performing all of the tasks of a of a property manager. Uh, it, yeah, and that's generally down to accountability and lines of communication and it not being non-departmental. So yeah, there are for the US model, there are def, there are there is a sweet spot for where a company should be. But uh, but the when it comes the thing about property management is, and I, it's pretty much always someone falls into the business and. It's a small operation, and to date, no one really has, uh, or it's very rare that you find someone who has, from day one, started with the business plan, used something like the E-Myth as, as their uh, framework of how they're gonna develop over the next you know, three months, year, five years, 10 years, and actually executed on it. Uh, they generally hit 
you know, they, they can manage a degree of properties uh, yeah. and then they hit the wall or in the EOS terms, you hit the ceiling and then it's crap. What do we do now? And then they find their way to a coach and whether it's EOS or, you know, consultants like, uh, like Deb, uh, that, that's, that's how it generally happens. Uh, it's not, it's not something that people start off with saying, okay, I need a business coach from now. Uh, in my experience. What do you think, Deb? I think he brings up some really good points. And this is, I think, what can differentiate what Andy does from what I do. I actually do work with clients who are brand new or just starting off. They, they've done their research and they've chosen either not to do a franchise, for example, because that's a very good solution for those who are just thinking of this as a career for them. Um, sometimes a franchise is a great solution because of the support that a franchise can offer. Or they look at it and say, can I, can I master this? And I say master loosely, but can I master this constant, you know, the idea of running this business in two years, two to three years without having to continue to give up, you know, any profit for 10 years, let's say with a franchise. So I, you know, and I, you know, my largest client has over 7,000 doors and my smallest client has, you know, zero doors. So there's the difference is just helping them build that foundation. Um, but I'm looking at really the operations of it, not necessarily worrying about, you know, um, I, I'm looking at how, you know, as you build your team, you're going to hit some plateaus. So we're going to have to have some jobs, some basic jobs in place. What software are you choosing? What what is you know what are you trying to accomplish? Where do you want to get to a hundred doors, two hundred doors? So I'm really trying to help even established clients, companies who have been in this for a while, don't have some of these business plan goals. So we're looking at strategic planning in a very different way. They they've never done their budget in a sense where they're looking at headcount and do I need to add another person? They're you know they have problems so they hire too many people and now they have you know, every too many people and they don't know what to do with them. And, and, and so there's a lot of these things that I'm trying to diagnose all at once. And so I kind of go in there and it kind of comes at me all at once. And that's why I have to kind of push everything into phases. Like what's the most important issue right now? And it, and it may not even be growth. You know, a lot of people say, well, I want to grow to so many doors, but it may just be a profit per door issue that we need to work on. And then how do we back backtrack to get to that? The Olivia Pope of property management, management, as I would say. Yeah, if people watch, have <laughs> they? I love it. Ironically, that's kind of my uh, that's my handle on a lot of things too. So it, I mean, it's kind it kind of sounds like it. Um, yeah. I could but I think I think Andy can. I mean, and he kind of made this point. He says he turns down business because you know. I think people, again, we all have this idea that, oh my gosh, EOS, that's exactly what I need. But he's probably looking at them going, you have bigger problems than EOS. I can only imagine. Right. Am I right, Andy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is a very, uh, you have to excuse the noise, it's Florida in the, <laughs> in the summer and we've got thunderstorms going on. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, but in, yeah, the there is a sweet spot for EOS and People do think, and maybe, maybe the same with you, Deb, people do think hiring a consultant or, or implementing some management program is going to solve their problems. And it, it's not. It's not a light switch. It is 
work that will will go on for a very long time it's a it's work in progress and will always be work in progress uh because the company who who has a goal in over the next three years to get to to x revenue by the time they reach that that x revenue they're going to have another goal and it will it will require some change management and it will require different personnel and different skill set uh unless you are unless you are planning and forecasting you mentioned budgets uh i would be amazed if more than if more than 50 percent of property management companies had budgets and forecasts uh i just don't think they uh, i don't think they're at that stage i think a lot of it's mom and pop and they they rely on their uh, they rely on their day to day their their week to week month to month revenue uh, without that much foresight into the future. Which is so interesting because you feel like budget would be kind of a must have first place to start when you're running a business. Um, so do you find that a lot too, Deb? Well, I just literally as he was talking, I thought of the most perfect analogy that I really never thought of before. Um, I tend to get clients who, so in property management, we all, we all, you know, we want to get new business. So sometimes that new business is owners coming to us with a tenant in place that needs to be evicted. I think we can almost all relate to that because they're like in this emergency mode Mm -hmm. and they're like, can I just give you my problem? And that's actually how a lot of the clients come about. They are in this emergency mode and it's this triage thing that we have to do right away before we can even fix the whole root of what's going on. So um, they've gotten themselves in some situations like, you know, they haven't budgeted, they haven't, you know, they or their employees have kind of overtaken the business a little bit and they no longer know what's going on or have a say. So it's, kind of coming in and triaging a little bit first and then kind of establishing this roadmap to say, okay, here's where we need to, you know, start and fix. And it may be an EOS system. It may be a Six Sigma six system. It may be a, a combination of both. A lot of times what I do is I kind of sneak these things in so that they're not, so it's almost like it's built into that framework of what they're doing. Because as Andy said, unless they come into this with that buy-in of I'm going to do EOS and I know it's hard work and we're going to do it day in and day out, and that's hard for a lot of people to keep that momentum, it's not going to, you know, I kind of weave it in a little bit on, you know, I don't call them level 10 meetings, but I, I am a proponent of you need to have a weekly team meeting and we need to have an agenda. So it's getting them kind of even established just with some of those basics that you think, oh, I, you know, that should be a given. A lot of companies don't have meetings and they don't have an agenda. And so then it's building that and kind of teaching them that and the why. I always like to explain the why behind what we're doing and why it's essential to help their business. I really liked, I, I have a question because I really liked something that irked. It really not spoke to me, but um, resonated with me, I guess. Andy, you mentioned that you will only work with companies that are departmental, department-based, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, versus portfolio, um, which is interesting because I feel like, um, uh, and we've talked about this in the past, where our, our company has gone through EOS, and it's funny because we actually, I feel like previously you would almost categorize Ford and CAF as 
portfolio base. But then when we started doing EOS, we really transitioned to like departments. Um, and I, for us, it made a lot of sense because we no longer had our account managers spinning 27 plates at a time. They're just pointing to the right people saying, hey, I need you to do this, which gives them the time they needed to communicate with their clients. I'm curious, um, Deb, do you find the same thing where you feel like the department-based model works better than portfolio or, or does, it, does it just depend on the company you're working with? It depends on the company, a lot of factors. You sometimes will even find it more popular in certain regions. I know in Florida, um, portfolio is really more popular in certain segments of Florida. Um, they do that real estate model. Um, for small companies, portfolio works best because it is the faster way to grow, but you have to make sure your contracts are kind of written in a way that you're not kind of giving away your portfolio should somebody leave your firm. So I, um, it's a fair point. I will say this though, that people will change. And just like you said, four and a half has people will change from portfolio to department or department to portfolio or whatever the need is as they, as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it comes down to the need of the client and, and really what they can find the talent within their people, um, what they're good at and what that end goal is for the company. So that's why I say there's no right or wrong way to build out your property management company. Some are going to be really successful as portfolio and some will be very successful as department. And I've helped some who are more hybrid. So it's really just kind of this, what is it for the company? I think that's what Andy was trying to say earlier as well. Yep. Yeah. And it's, and the re the reason is stark and I've looked at, I've looked at companies and it's, if you are running, if you're, if, if you are on a portfolio, true portfolio basis and you're doing everything and I make no apologies to this because I know what happens in the, the property management world, you can spin whatever story you like to that property owner to buy us and nothing malicious, but just to, even if it's to buy yourself some time, if you're running around uh, spinning plates you can't get everything done at once, but that owner wants everything done at once. So you uh, you buy yourself time. Uh, now, if you become departmental, and you are a departmental company, then the lines the, the lines of communication that are required to keep everyone on the same page, so the owner gets the same story, uh, is nigh on impossible. So you have to go towards a, a management system where you have true accountability that encourages lines of communication so that the, the, you're all singing from the same hymn sheet. Now, you don't necessarily need to do that if you are portfolio-based when you're running 100 owners and you know if the plumber showed up or not. It's because it's your, it's your responsibility, your accountability. When you go to departmental, the lines of communication increase exponentially and you need a system to keep everything in place. And that, that's what I find. And that's why I find uh, people coming to me is they've made the switch from portfolio to departmental, but they, it, it's a completely different animal and they don't know how to manage it. So that's kind of where the EOS and my... Yeah, my consulting helps. 
on the surface, it seems like, oh, we're going to switch to departmental, um, you know, model, but it's the same amount. It's the same type of work. We're still managing properties, mm -hmm. the same tenants, same owner. So, you know, how difficult could it be? We're just like shuffling people's boxes on our org chart, right? But yeah. like you said, Andy, it's a completely different animal yeah. because um, whereas before, maybe they are not aware that there's um, there's value in sort of like looking at um, a property address and knowing exactly everything that's happened in that property for the last six months, mm -hmm. picking up the phone, talking to an owner and feeling confident that you know everything. And then once you're kind of taken away from that seat of doing everything, you're surprised that when you pick up the phone, you get questions that you're kind of like stumped. And then you realize, oh, oh, well, and then you start bl doing the blame game. Like, oh, why did yeah. you communicate with the owner that mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. did this? Um, so yeah, I think it's like, it's a, like, an unspoken truth, right? It is. Yeah. It... Sorry, go, oh, ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, well, remember, oh, you have the flip side, right? Owners really wish they could just talk to one person. One person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of like, you know, what do you do? Because as a company, you're like, I, I want to grow. And really, it, it, you know, the efficiency with department is there. There's some cross-functional, you, know, you know, functions that happen. And, and hopefully there's the communication and you're using the software correctly that you're documenting everything so that the story is the same. But then you have your owner who says, I just want to talk to Andy. I don't want to talk to anybody yeah. else. Yeah, and that's right. And the evolution, and if it, the evolution of my company was very in the very very early days port, uh, portfolio, and then quickly morphed into departmental. But now we've evolved, whereas we are completely departmental, but realise the value of an account manager who is is that one person that the owner can go to and they are in charge and it is their portfolio but they are supported by the different departments but that is you get that with scale and you get it with experience and you get that with the this putting the systems in place for that critical document uh, documentation because that's what it all boils down to mm -hmm. yep exactly how do you ensure, so if you, if you do have a system, I mean, we talked about accountability, like very briefly, if you do have a system where you have um, property managers that used to do everything and you're transitioning them to more of a system where they are just owning the communication, how do you ensure they're not doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, um, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, so I I think that it comes down to making sure that your processes, not just your processes, but it's your policies and your procedures are written down in some format. You know, some people choose to do it online, whether it be Asana, Trello, Process Street, Podio, HubSpot, like there's so many things. But if you have to kind of document the whole entire life cycle of property management from start to finish and then, you know, it kind of starts over again. But that's where you also have to have the buy-in and you have to explain the why. So fundamentally people don't like change, especially employees. It's really hard for them. And so some do, some really like it. And, but for the majority they don't. And it's really hard because you sit into, I'm comfortable here. This is my little spot and I don't want to leave it. 
but if you kind of explain the why and help stretch them and it's a career path instead of just a job, then it becomes different. I like that a lot. It's like changing the narrative. It's not, we're changing your job. We're almost elevating you to something else. I really like that. Accountability, you almost empower them in such a different way that they, they really do feel like they're contributing more to the company as a whole because that's, in the end, that's what's important is the company is surviving and thriving and it's not all about just one person. So it's, it's really a, us collectively reaching some goals. And, you know, that's why um, I think Andy brought up a good point earlier. And, it, it, you know, we don't all go into this business thinking that we're going to grow up and be property managers. Or if we do think this is what we want to do as a career, what we forget is that we have to manage people, meaning our team, in addition to this love of real estate that we may have. And there, you know, you forget that there's an owner, there's a tenant, and now there's my employees. So your job as, you know, establishing this property management company is really, you're having to manage a lot of people. And some people are not as equipped to do that as others. So to your point, Deb, right, um, and, and Andy, you agree that a lot of property management companies start off with maybe, you know, one person, two people who just kind of fall into the business without like a plan in the beginning. And so we talked about kind of um, blind, um, like blind spots when they're trying to grow their business and they hit the ceiling. So one is like, um, in terms of the structure of your company, it really does impact your company, whether you are a hybrid or a portfolio or a departmental, but also not just picking um, a, a structure, but also like what are the systems in place to make that structure work for you? Um, what other kind of blind spots do you feel like um, is common for property management companies? Um, one thing that you mentioned is, um, yeah, you you want property management as a career and you like working with owners and tenants, but you forget that you have to manage people, right? Like what are other kind of blind spots like that? Uh, maintenance. It's always my number one thing. I always say it's maintenance. I think it's the one thing that people forget about. Um, it's a blind spot. It's, and I, you know, um, it's kind of the bane of our existence in property management. It's the inevitable that has to be addressed and has to be taken care of. But if you don't properly address it or take care of it or even have processes in place on how to do it, it will be, it will also be your demise. That's, that was mine. What's yours? <laughs> What's your blind spot? What would you say a blind spot is? Uh, I would, yeah, the, the maintenance is one. Uh, I... There are, and uh, property management is a different animal. I know people in property management will say that, uh, and we we say, "Oh, we're we're special because we're in property management." Uh, but uh, we we really are. There there are very few there are very few uh, vocations that cover or have the that require the expertise in so many different areas, and I really I. I feel sorry for property managers. I feel sorry for us. It's it's a hard, is a hard profession to be in, and it doesn't get the recognition that it deserves. And whether that be 
from a reputation standpoint or financial standpoint. Uh, it, it really doesn't. And uh, I think that we've, we've done ourselves a disservice over the years by just limping along and not taking what we do as an industry really seriously. I think things are changing. I think I've seen some real change in the last five years uh, with the support. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a plug for you guys, but with the support of companies like four and a half and other people who have come into the, into the market and, and added a degree of professionalism that wasn't there previously as a vendor. Uh, I think, you know, we are, we are making some strides and are now starting to realize that this is a great, it, it, it can have its rewards, uh, but we just need to elevate the reputation, I think, of property management. Uh, get us out of the, um, uh, the, the shade of the real estate industry and, and be a standalone uh, profession for what we are. Uh, and because of that, it's, I, I try to encourage task management. Uh, have, going to work where, the, where, the, where a rental manager or property manager actually knows what they're going to be doing. Uh, because everything, uh, apart from the maintenance, the reactive side of the maintenance, everything that everything else else that we do really is quite. It, you can forecast it. We know when our inspections are. We know when our uh, rent collections. We know when late when rents late. We know uh, uh, when we can schedule a call with a to touch an owner. We can we can schedule all these things and it can be on someone's dashboard so that they can come into work every single day knowing what they're about to do. And then more importantly, if they can't come into work, the supervisor can look at their dashboard and say, these things need to get achieved today because Susie isn't at work. And I think now we take ourselves so seriously that we're introducing these levels uh, of professionalism that in time will just improve what we do. Uh, I just think up until now we've we've thrown it together and it's and it's kind of worked or it hasn't worked. I think now we're getting to the stage where we we really are starting to deliver a good service. So maybe the biggest blind spot previously was just lack of an operational system in general. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's and just like Andy said, there's so many facets to that. I mean you could say your budgeting is a blind spot because some people don't do that. They don't strategically plan for their next year. They don't, um, you know, training is a blind spot for so many. Um, I always call yeah. it, you know, baptism by fire. We pretty much kind of hire people and we throw them at a job because we too don't have time to train them to do their job. And so it's kind of the sink or swim mentality. And what happens in that is then they become self-taught which is not always correct, and it may not align with your own principles. So there are many problems that can arise, and there's probably many blind spots. But Andy brought up a good point in saying that, you know, there's, we're in this industry now with a, a lot of vendors who have brought us these tools to really make our business run more efficiently. And unfortunately, they cost money. They're not free. So... It's true, as a, as a whole, as a company, when we're doing business, we don't charge enough for what we do. But yet, to an owner, we're charging the most, you know, we're charging so much money, you know, and, and I'll just throw out like easy numbers, like $100. It's $100 a month to manage your property, or 10%. So, industry standard, right? So, you know, to an owner, that's so much money that's, oh, I have to give up that much. And I always laugh because I'm thinking, 
your two most important assets in life are your assets of property and your children. And what do we always cheapen everything on? Our property management fees and babysitting. We never pay enough for either one, yet I want to entrust somebody else to manage and take care of them. So it, I always find that, you know, there's a strong correlation. And so we have to actually train the mindset of an owner as to why we're so valuable. And this is why, you know, um, if you're babysitting somebody's kids, you're, you know, you're going to pay me $10 an hour for three children. Right. You know, so it's, it's becomes this uh, back and forth and, and really it comes down to as an industry, we need to really value ourselves and educate our owners as to why they don't want to do this themselves, but also hire a professional and why we do cost this much. We have to employ all of these tools and people and everything to run this very efficiently and, and have a good return on their investment as well. How do you do that when you do have people trying to enter the marketplace charging nothing? Like they couldn't even really be making any money from what they're charging. I mean, they're, they're going to soon learn it's their, they're brand new into it. And they're probably like Andy said in the beginning, they're, they're doing everything themselves. They're that sole person, that proprietor that's doing they're they're their own portfolio manager who's doing everything from start to finish. And sure they can do that, but they will burn out at a certain point at so many doors. And then they'll realize I don't want to do this anymore. And then they make their first hire and things that the light switch starts to go off slowly sometimes and and then things will slowly change but in the beginning they're yeah they may charge five percent and they'll be like sure i'll do that but i think it's good like i said baptism by fire they're going to learn really quick within that first year five percent doesn't get you anything it might give you a little extra money per month um, but then you have no time to take a vacation because you have made it so you're the only, the, the buck stops with you. Everything mm -hmm. starts and stops with you. So there goes all of your free time. So they'll, it's, it's going to be a quick lesson um, and hopefully one that they can learn within that first year. So upon renewal, they can raise their fees, which then, you know, is easy. Okay, Mr. Owner, I'm now raising from 5% to 10% and that owner's like, you can't do that to me. I'm going to leave you. Well, where are they going to go when everybody else probably charges the same? So mm -hmm. it, it's, it is what they'll figure it out. It's okay. uh, I, I really want to ask this question um, before we run, run out of time. Yeah. So um, since both of you work with um, a lot of property management companies all over, um, I want to know, given, you know, um, the pandemic and, you know, the property management industry being forced to just do everything the same, but oh, remote, oh, and childcare, oh, and you have to homeschool your school-age kids. Like, what are the kinds of changes you've um, noticed ever since the whole world t turned upside down? <laughs> well, I think it's, we didn't, uh, we didn't miss a beat in, in my company. Uh, we, we have remote workers, we have KPIs, we have clear expectations of our staff. Uh, we uh, have policies in place and it's not sexy. And it's, you know, uh, when you go to these conferences and people start talking about policy procedures, most people exit that, you know, mm -hmm. that, that room because they don't want to listen to it. But no one saw this coming. And I have to believe 
that it's the companies with who have set themselves up with plans uh, that know how to manage staff that can understand what success is can see what uh, if 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 someone's making 50 calls a day and now they're only making 20 calls a day that that gets noticed uh, it's those companies that have that will survive this it's the companies that that were a wing and a prayer and just putting it together as they they went along they're the companies that will have either struggled through this or have closed their doors so for my 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 thoughts are just get a plan and you're going to be ahead of most people no matter what that plan is just get a plan yeah it's having an emergency plan in place i think it's actually made a lot of companies look at internally to say what is my plan how do i manage my team who works now remotely who may have children and how do we you know now structure their position and their functions what needs to get accomplished in a day and in a week and in a month and do i care if they do it at nine o'clock at night or at nine in the morning there's going to have to be a little bit of flexibility on everybody's part because i think you know we have to have all have a little grace during this period of what's going on um i think this has actually been a very welcomed reprieve for a lot of people and it's been a great hard reset to look at their company and go, am I ready to continue moving forward? Do, what adjustments do I have to make? And as Andy said, will I survive? And you know, some may have to scale down and that's okay. Um, and others will take, you know, by doing that, you may have to take on more, wear a little bit more hats for a while, but that's okay. Many of us are working harder than we have in a long time, but we're working. I mean, there's some there's some good things that can come out of this, or there's some things that are gonna make us realize we can't do this, and and those are all okay. It's just finding the right solution for that company and helping them realize their path and their future. Thank you, Deb. I think it's very important to keep that in mind. And like you and Andy said earlier, it's not one size fits all. Um, but at the end of the day, having a plan, regardless of the framework that you use, will determine um, if you're a survivor or a casualty during difficult times like these. This was wonderful. Thank you both for joining us. I would love to, at some point, even dive deeper um, deeper on the subjects and, and think of some other ideas to discuss with you because you guys are just, just have so much insight that I think our listeners will absolutely love. So thank you for joining us today. 